Hello everyone and welcome. This is uh, the second installment of our brand new Lord of the Rings uh, reread. We are still in uh, book one, The Fellowship of the Ring, um, and we are covering chapters 7 through 12 uh, today. Um, we are going to probably uh, spoil everything in the Lord of the Rings uh, universe, uh, even though the last time was actually pretty uh, fair on that point. We only talked about the chapters, mostly. Um, I'm, um, I'm Mary, and I'm Mary on the Discord, and uh, today I'm joined by Adam. Hey, this is Adam, also known as Drown Snow. We also have Alex. Hi, I'm Alex, also known as Iwindiel. And finally, Zach. Hey, this is Zach, also known as Alias on the internets. <laughs> awesome. So, um, we left uh, the Hobbits last time uh, as they were um, saved <laughs> by Tom Bombadil. So, that's also where we are starting right now. Um, and, uh, well, I guess we should just jump into it right not much to say beforehand so zach i believe you offered to cover the next two chapters yes indeed all right so we begin with chapter seven in the house of tom bombadil so in this chapter the hobbits join tom bombadil in his home where they meet goldberry the daughter of the river as she is described when they ask her who exactly Tom is, she just she describes him as the master of wood, water, and till. The hobbits wash up and enjoy an excellent supper, and that night Frodo dreams of black riders and a stranger atop a tower being saved by an eagle. The hobbits wake up, have breakfast, and spend hours or perhaps days listening to Tom tell stories of Old Man Willow, the Barrows, and the Barrow Whites, and many other things. They have supper again with Tom, and he asks to see Frodo's ring. He puts it on, and Frodo is amazed to see that it doesn't affect him at all. Before they go to sleep and prepare to leave the next morning, Tom teaches them a short rhyme, should they find themselves in danger on their way through the Barrow Downs. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this chapter is pretty straightforward, pretty simple, um, but it is one that is surprisingly divisive. I think this is actually one of the more divisive things in Lord of the Rings. So I'm kind of curious, like, what do you guys think about Tom Bombadil and this whole situation here? I think I remembered this chapter being a lot longer than it actually is. So I, I'm, I guess that probably means I like Tom Bombadil more than when I first read the book. Um, I think it's pretty cool that he he's always speaking in this sort of rhyming, um, rhythmic sort of way. All of his sentences seem to be uh, it, it, like they could be in a song, but he's just speaking normally. Yeah, I think I think when you are first reading it, you might be thinking like, well, what is the point of this? Like, where is this going? Aren't we have more important things to be doing? Like, you might be more like frustrated at the pace, but knowing what happens on a reread, you might be more kind of like appreciating the time spent here. Yeah, probably. Bombadil is whack, y'all. <laughs> Make the case. Why is he whack? <laughs> well, I actually don't really think that, but since no one's going that way, I'm gonna go that way. I go um, well, yeah, so so I would I would argue that Tom Bombadil is maybe the most antiquated part of all three of these books. Um, not that I particularly hate him or anything, but it just it definitely feels very, you know, of the time this was written. Um it is it is pretty boss that he's like, I put this ring on and nothing happens and then when Frodo's like, I'm gonna sneak off and he's like, I still see you So you're kinda like, What is with this dude? But uh yeah, it's I don't know. He he doesn't fit quite as well. I understand. Um, I understand why some people don't really like the character. I enjoy it. I enjoy the silliness, but it it definitely. It, I don't know. It kind of pulls me out of the rest of the book in a way. Yeah, I think I think it makes sense because so when I read this chapter um, a couple of weeks ago, I was like, okay, let's go on a on a Wikipedia wiki everything. Um, Parallel uh, to figure out uh, who this guy is and what's his role in the story, and what I found was that he was actually officially 
a character from other things than the Lord of the Rings at first, and he he is in a, in a couple of uh, short stories written for kids, um, and he's actually something like kind of outwardly um, for for uh, Middle Earth. So and like he was added afterwards, um, and um, so I guess that that's why is it, it's weird. That, is it like uh, running into Santa in the Narnia books, and you're like, of, oh, Santa? Yeah, kind of. And I guess people have been trying to like link him to everything we know about the the um, this world uh, and what we find uh, in the Silmarillion, and try to like, is he um, is he like a Maya? Is he um, and basically, I think Tolkien uh, said that no, and he wasn't anyone that we could could like uh, find uh, in the rest of the books. Um, and I think the same questions kind of arise with uh, Goldberry, because it's it's almost like she herself is that um, the the one the one. Oh come on! I'm gonna find the the right uh, name in a second. Um, but she is. A bit more inward, I think, but still quite weird. Yeah, that's all totally correct about um, Tom Bombadil being some a, a character out of another story that was integrated here. And I kind of like Tolkien's explanation for it on just a very like basic structural level. He wanted like something here along the journey um, to kind of break it up, which I think makes sense. Like I think it, it helps to kind of fill out the whole piece of this part of the narrative. Um, so th on that level, I think it's fine. And I like to them just the idea from a world building standpoint of um, like an ancient figure that kind of stands outside of the core narrative. Um, and there's something about fantasy, I think, that is uniquely suited for that. Like just the notion of someone who like can't really be explained, someone who I think as Tolkien himself describes is an enigma of sorts, like some just some aspect of the world that can't adequately be explained. I just enjoy that. And I think that... It actually has been something that's been taken from Tolkien and integrated into a lot of other stories. Um, I think a lot of fantasy these days will do this kind of thing where you'll have that kind of like random appearance of someone who seems like so incredibly powerful and so strange. Um, and I think that there's a certain appeal of that. And I think that that's been shown over time. I do think some authors take it too far, like like Brandon Sanderson, just to call him out briefly, like he does this a lot where he'll have like someone who like comes from like another story or like someone who like hops between all of his different books. It's like all powerful. I think that's probably taking the, the concept too far, yeah. but I do I do like it in general. That would like throw me off really. And uh, like Tom Bobadiddle does actually, it's, it's okay. I liked it, and and it's fine now. But um, yeah, the idea of this being being so powerful, uh, but so disconnected from everything else, uh, is a bit. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. I really appreciate it. It's like it's like the conversation we were having about the elves uh, the last time. Actually, it's. Uh, um, I don't. I mean, I get it for uh, in the story. I get it, but um, but the idea of these people being uh, much more powerful uh, and the fact that they could help uh, much more than they actually do. But I guess that's that's also the point, right? It's that you don't need to be powerful to actually have a big impact on the story, and actually, you kind of need to not be in a sense. Um, so that makes sense. <laughs> There's definitely that frustration, though, right? You're like, why can't yeah. Tom Bombadil just take the ring to war? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That'd be easy. This is, you definitely Seriously. have that thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah, I mean, there's not too much else. I think just like the notion of this chapter and what what is the value of it is the key question. Um, I did note that we, have, of course, have... Uh, we have Frodo here dreaming about Gandalf um, being saved from Isengard. But I actually thought, um, and maybe this is way off, but like we, we hear that Merry and Pippin have dreams of, um, Merry is dreaming of being drowned and Pippin is dreaming of being in the willow. And I thought maybe those were actually like prophetic dreams about um, Isengard and about like their their uh, encounters with the Ents. Maybe that's way off, but I had that feeling. 
No, yeah. I think, um, yeah, I don't know about Marin Pippin's dreams because um, they don't really, like, even in, at, well, I guess, yeah, you could say that they were in danger uh, at Isengard, but not quite a danger of drowning. Right. I mean, um, at least not in my uh, very uh, movie-centered vision of the that moment. Um, but I think, like, I found this chapter very, you get both a sense of warmth and um, safety, but also you still have the, this eerie impression mm -hmm. that uh, they are not safe and they cannot stay here. And they have these dreams and these these ominous moments where um, Goldberry is nowhere to be found. What's happening? Uh, is she here? Is she not? Um, same kind of with Tom. And um, it's not exactly scary, but it's, it's not entirely comfortable either, I think. Um, That's a really good point. Yeah, like it, yeah. it, it, you want to feel comfortable, but there's just like this uncanny quality to it or like this alien feeling of these characters. Like you just don't, qu it's not like the Shire, right? It, does, it doesn't feel that way necessarily, even though it, technically they are safe here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yes, we obviously get the dream, uh, Frodo dreaming about. Gandalf escaping, um, which is nice, and which I don't know. I don't know how. I guess on a first read, you cannot really figure out what it's about. But it's yeah, nice you'd have no idea, read. right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know what Isengard is or what this tower yeah. could be or any, any <laughs> exactly. exactly. In fact, I don't even think you would know unless you're like paying really close attention on your first read, unless you'd seen like the movies, because like in that case, it sketches out very clearly what happened. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're relying just on retellings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Any other thoughts on this chapter? Very relatable moment when Frodo tries to slip away from the dinner uh, with the ring. Yeah, <laughs> like, I just want to get out of there. <laughs> this is just so long. I just want to go to bed. <laughs> Don't mind if I just disappear. But um, yeah. no, wish I had that ring, long. except for the all corrupting influence and all that stuff. But, uh... Yeah, and I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's not um, let's not hope for a ring to come into our lives. We have enough <laughs> right now. True um, okay, I think we can indeed uh, go on to the next chapter. Alrighty. So chapter eight, you know, directly follows this, kind of connected um, in terms of this point in the plot line. We have the hobbits setting out early in the morning and they make for a flat topped hill where they have lunch and they fall asleep because uh, that's what hobbits do. Um, and they wake up to find the hills covered entirely in fog. They travel forward in what they hope is the right direction, but Frodo is separated from the group. He searches desperately for his friends, but finds a barrow instead. A deep voice speaks to him, and Frodo falls unconscious, waking to find himself imprisoned under the hills. Despite the hopeless situation, Frodo gathers enough courage to break free. He remembers Tom's rhyme, sings, and hears a reply. Tom comes crashing in to save the, the hobbits uh, from the whites. He gives them each a dagger and leads them safely back to the East Road where the hobbits travel forward toward the village of Bree. So this is a moment of tension and danger after our, our uh, respite with Tom, but thankfully he's there to help us again here. Uh, just general thoughts on this one. I love the ponies. In fact, that they are much smarter than the hobbits in this one. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and they, they smell the danger. Yeah. And they immediately go back to like safety and and I like I like that. I like ponies. <laughs> Speaking of the ponies, I like the like it's like an odd bit, but I like that it says something like, you know, like they hadn't named them but like once Tom called their names they answered to that names until the day they died or whatever. I did kinda like that. Yeah, me too. Good mix of loyalty and practicality from yeah. them, which kind Other of applies that, to the hobbits too. Yeah, indeed. Um, and yeah, other than that, um, I definitely thought that if 
the old forest and Tom Bombadil chapter uh, didn't uh, stop me. Uh, this would be the one because um, I had such confused memories of reading it for the first time and not understanding a thing about what was going on. Um, mm. I, I don't know. I mean, when I was when I was younger, um, but it was again easier than I thought than I thought it would be. Um, and when you pay attention to attention to the details, uh, you get very interesting uh, little things about what the whites are and who they are and and the barrow downs, uh, uh, what it is, um, and that's uh, that's like a very um, yeah, it's another addition to the world that you don't necessarily get. Uh, when you just focus on the story and on the hobbits themselves and where they're going, but that's interesting in itself. Yeah, it's a great example of something I was briefly talking about last last episode, where we really get to clearly see the world being in this kind of ruined, declining state. Especially like this is like probably the best example in the world is these desolate um, northern kingdoms. Of like these used to be great kingdoms of man, and now they are this. So you clearly see like how how far things have fallen. Like these were Arnor and Eriador before they fell um, to Angumar and all these horrible things in the past, and now they're haunted by ghosts and evil things. And you just get the sense that this whole land has kind of been uh, abandoned, and the only people that are willing to come here are are the rangers, who are the only you know people brave enough to to walk these lands and travel and protect these roads that have used to be huge, important areas, but now are forgotten essentially. Um, and yeah, I think too, like, like you were saying, Marie, it's kind of hard to follow what's happening here, but I also like, I remember being very scared of this chapter when I first read it. Like I remember it being very distinctly scary. And I think it is some, some great horror um, from Tolkien here. Um, I think it's, it, it's not something he delves into very often. There are certainly some parts where it comes through, um, but I think it's actually really well done here. Like I genuinely felt like they might not get out, you know, like there was a moment where I was like, oh no, it could end here. <laughs> Even though obviously it wouldn't. Yeah. The vision that Frodo has of the other hobbits in their like white gowns with swords across their necks or something like that. And then you realize it's not really a vision it's really happening and they're being attacked by these ghosts and and then you start to to figure out that maybe the fog and the fact that they fell asleep wasn't really natural and it, this whole atmosphere I, I feel like is is really different from the rest of the of the journey yeah and i guess we have learned now that to capture a hobbit, just make him fall asleep. <laughs> that will work. <laughs> Give him stuff to eat and then <laughs> wait until they fall asleep. <laughs> it's definitely not the best look for the hobbits here. It's definitely, uh, that could be doing better. That's okay. Yeah. What about 11th breakfast? <laughs> 11th, ooh, 11th breakfast. That's only I need. We get them getting these uh, barrow blades here, which end up being important later. Also known as the daggers of Westernese. These uh, very po powerful daggers that can be used uh, to fight powerful enemies. Nice, the hobbits yep. have those on their side. Indeed. Okay. Anything? Anything else uh, on this chapter? It is all I've got. All right, well, uh, so I guess we can run to the next two. Uh, and for those, we have Alex. Yes, um, so uh, disclaimer, I didn't write these recaps. I'm just going to read them off the, the internet. Um, so um, chapter nine is at the sign of the Prancing Pony. The hobbits arrive in Bree, a village in which both humans, big folk, and hobbits, little folk, make their homes. At the village gate, they answer some suspicious questions before being let through. As they pass through the gate, a dark figure climbs the gate and follows them. They get rooms and supper at the Prancing Pony, where Barleyman Butterbur is the harried innkeeper. 
After supper, Frodo, Sam, and Pippin joined some of the other guests in the common room while Mary remained in the private parlor. Frodo, going by the name Mr. Underhill, pretends to be a writer planning a book on hobbits living outside the Shire in order to account for their presence. Amidst the chatter, Frodo notices a stranger smoking a pipe and watching him. This man introduces himself to Frodo as Strider. The stranger warns Frodo not to let Pippin talk too much, and Frodo realizes Pippin is telling the story of Bilbo's disappearance during his birthday speech. Rather than let Pippin finish, Frodo interrupts him with a song of his own. Yet as he finishes his silly song, he disappears, having inadvertently placed his finger through the ring in his pocket. Strider chastises Frodo as the room erupts in suspicious and puzzled murmuring. Um, so do you guys want to discuss this chapter now, or should I read the recap for the next one? Because they're pretty, pretty, pretty close. Right. Yeah. yeah, together. Okay, I'll read um, the, the next yeah. one, and maybe we can d discuss yeah. both at the same time. That works. Okay, so the next chapter is Strider. Um, so Frodo, Sam, and Pippin go back to the parlor, uh, and Mary seems to have gone out, but Strider is inside waiting for them. Three hobbits are surprised and suspicious, but Strider seems to know more about their errand than they do. As they talk, Butterbur knocks and apologizes for forgetting to give Mr. Underhill a letter Gandalf had left for him. Strider eventually convinces the hobbits he is trustworthy trustworthy despite his rough appearance because he matches a description in Gandalf's letter. They agree to use him as their guide to Rivendell. Suddenly, Merry appears breathless. He had been outside and had a frightening encounter with the Black Riders. Realizing the riders have found them, they decide to stay in the parlor rather than return to their rooms. Bolsters are placed in their beds to make it appear the hobbits are asleep. And that is where the chapter closes. So um, the, the hobbits at the inn are pretty much the most careless we've seen them this far. Um, at the beginning of the chapter, uh, Frodo is, is really nervous and reminds his friends to call him Mr. Underhill, that he, he doesn't want to be known. And... And as soon as they get to the common room, they start drawing attention to themselves and telling silly stories and telling singing silly songs. And <laughs> Frodo is really bad at pretending to be someone else. <laughs> like his excuse of writing a book, he, he doesn't even make an effort to like be interested in the people that he's talking to. He's just like, oh, okay, everyone's just going to buy it that I'm here to write a book. No need <laughs> to to work on this excuse at all. Um, yeah, so that's kind of a disaster. Also, there's a lot of people inside this inn. There's like dwarves and hobbits and big folk from Bree and rangers and some folk from the south that are, look kind of suspicious. And I don't know if it's just reading this in 2020, but it, it feels kind of oppressive to have all these people in the same place. Yeah, I think, um, again, uh, proving my point that giving the hobbit something to drink or eat and, and <laughs> you get whatever you want from them. <laughs> yeah, you give them a supper and a warm, a warm place to stay yeah. and they just fuck shit up. I mean, it also, it, it shows how, um, like, even though at this point in the story they are afraid, but they still haven't quite completely grasped uh, that they're not in the Shire anymore um, and that it's going to be different and that they have to be more, um, uh, yeah, more careful. Yeah, but luckily they encounter Strider, who uh, is a lot more careful about all these things and uh, offers to help them and... Conveniently, um, Gandalf has left a letter that recommends Aragorn um, to the to the hobbits, 
and we very nearly never got that letter because Butterbur had completely forgotten about it, no matter what he says. And um, yeah, so it, it kind of feels like there have been a few misses, like the letter was supposed to have reached them months before, before they even left the Shire, and Gandalf seems to be really, um, really afraid of, um, um, like he, he really insists on them hurrying to leave and not, not taking their time. So it, it kind of feels like they've failed on every, on every point so far. Yeah. I mean, the... and, and it, it, it they actually seem to be pretty lucky um, once you know all of this because they they've only seen the the black riders from afar and they haven't really encountered them uh, face to face yet and they and they can still uh, sort of hide from them in the inn. But um, yeah, the situation is a lot more dangerous than they had realized. Yeah. Um, so this is our first, uh, encounter with Aragorn, uh, our strider. <laughs> did you, like, did you like him at first or, um, it's kind of obvious that, I mean, of course we know, cause, cause we know, but it, I think it's still, um, he doesn't feel as scary as, as he could. Like it's, um, you've probably feel uh early on that he might be helpful yeah he doesn't really come across as as dangerous for the hobbits like he he's pretty honest with frodo and just trying to give him advice at first um the only the only moment that's really scary with him is when the dark figure um climbs over the gate after the hobbits and you think that it's a black rider um getting into the city to follow them but it's actually just Strider. yeah i kind of appreciate that though because i mean there's a certain element of <laughs> the way people are presented in this narrative where like their true colors kind of always manage to shine through like they're not they're not like the way that real people are where they're very hard to read you know like where people could show any kind of face like in this kind of story in this world like everyone kind of shows clearly at least like kind of the, their moral direction versus someone maybe like bill fernie or like oh god or oh, yeah. these are nefarious characters here yeah because like strider is mysterious and he's like a, a ranger and um butterbur doesn't really seem to trust these kinds of people but when like in the first uh dialogues that he has with the hobbits you start to immediately trust him because he seems to have information about the ring and their quest and he doesn't seem to be trying to steal the ring from them or attack them in any way so even though he looks kind of mysterious on the outside he's actually i i don't think there's much ambiguity at first that he's really a bad guy yeah yes it's uh it's what gandalf says right all that is gold does not glitter, not, not all those who wander are lost, which is a sentence that I like. Um, yeah, I remember being really struck by that when I first read that yeah. that letter and that that poem in there. Like, It's very evocative of, yeah. I guess, how we want to understand Aragorn, as he says, that <laughs> that name Aragorn connects very strongly with, with those words. Mm-hmm. Um. And um, so who are all of these uh, people from the South? Um, they are refugees or something who are coming all the way here to like find a new life. I think that's the implication. It's kind of hard. There's not like a lot of hard information about like what they're running from exactly. But yeah, just like bad things are happening to the South and they may find some kind of sanctuary from that here which which kind of tracks right with how we're understanding the conflicts that are developing in uh those areas that we'll get to eventually yeah absolutely okay 
Um, anything else? I think for me, like it, there's just the world kind of opens up here. Like we've been very isolated to the Shire, of course, and like just from there, like a very small subset of characters. We're just kind of in the wilderness, but here we actually get to see a town outside of that. And I really like Bree because like there's just the, the idea of the Shire, of course, being so isolated, like there's a certain appeal of that. But I also like there being like a place where hobbits and men um, can like coexist. Like I just enjoy that as a concept. So I appreciate this place. And the Prancing Pony is really fun, of course. Um, so it's just like a moment in the story that I always I always uh, remark at and appreciate. Yeah, the tiny bit of world building about Brie and the and the Brie lands um, m makes me want to know more about this place and spend more time here, because it seems like a pretty interesting like crossroads geographically where a lot of different people can meet. Yeah, unfortunately, we're kind of there at a dark time for it, and we we have all these like nefarious figures operating in the shadows here, so we don't get to see it at its best. But that's kind of true in every place yeah. we go in the story from here. So, yeah, it yeah. only goes downhill from here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you've got Rivendell. Well, yeah, yeah but but even Rivendell is diminished from what it was at its apex, yeah. right? So that's the kind of recurring theme of all all places that we that we go. Yeah. But it, it doesn't feel as scary. I mean, it feels uh, as if there is more light uh, in Rivendell, like literally. Uh, whereas I picture their uh, arrival in Bree. Well, of course, it's nighttime, and um, it's probably like damp, and because uh, uh, it's the beginning of autumn, and it's just you. You don't have that feeling in Rivendell. So like right now, I wouldn't say right. I I dream to stay uh, in Brie, you know, but it's probably <laughs> it's a very nice through. place. Yeah, yeah, you get that immediate feeling of not being welcome with the uh, the guy watching the gate. Yeah, it's yeah. just kind of everything feels yeah. kind of off from the yeah, from you're the just jump. Kind of dipping your toes into what's going to be a lot worse later on. So I do I I do like that aspect of it that it's like sort of like a gradual progression that Tolkien gives us, like, outside of the Shire. Yeah. Um, indeed. Uh, okay. We're moving through these uh, at a good pace. Um, so, anything else? That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, I these say... chapters are, uh, just in general, I think these chapters are um, I mean, like I say, they're really good for developing the world and getting to know these this broader context. But they're really, I mean, they're mostly just like we're we're going a direction, you know. Mm -hmm. Not not the major plot elements haven't really introduced themselves yet. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think if I if I were to take notes as I read them, I'd probably have a lot more things to say about them. Um, um and that's that's true of every chapter. Um, but when I'm reading them, I just I don't want to take notes. I want to read. So, right. And I'm not that uh, prepared a podcaster either. So, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I think like in, if we could like uh, discuss everything uh, in, in a lot of depth uh, from a literary point of view, probably. Uh, but that's not me. So. <laughs> um okay so we should uh i guess we can move on and like alex i did not write my summaries so i'm gonna read them too uh from the internet all right so chapter no that's still strider let's go to chapter 11 all right uh chapter 11 a knife in the dark so uh, the chapter actually starts with a fatty boulder back in the Shire. Um, he has been staying in Frodo's uh, new <laughs> Buckland home to make it appear like Frodo is there. Um, one night, the Black Riders approach the house and attempt to enter. Um, he quickly raises the alarm and flees, and the Black Riders uh, realize that the ring is no longer there, and they ride off. Uh, which kind of shows actually that although being such a 
nice and um uh, like very chill place uh the shire still has some kind of um immediate response to danger which is uh, and to attack which is uh which is yeah good i guess even though it won't be enough in the future um (laughs) so in brie frodo and the others sleep uh, while strider stays awake um and um when strider wakens them in the morning they find that the bolsters that were placed in their beds as decoys have been destroyed um and i love that scene in the movies by the way i think it's very very scary um so Butterbear is distraught and Strider and the Hobbits decide to leave at once. Um, but actually uh, the, their ponies were um, uh, scattered in the night and they are missing and they can't find them. And we learn later, I think, that they uh, get they got back to Bombadil, uh, <laughs> which um, is also a nice addition. So they are forced to go on foot, except for the one pony that they managed to buy from Bill Fernie, a dubious character, who's probably uh, one of the reasons why uh, they were attacked in the first place. So they leave, um, and Aragorn leads them through the Midgewater Marshes, which sounds like the most awful place ever. Um, and they can see uh, in the distance something like lightning and they don't know what it is. When they get to the hill that's called Weathertop, um, Strider thinks that the lightning they saw a couple of nights before might have been cursed by Gandalf, who would have uh, passed through there. Uh, That same night, they are attacked by five Black Riders. Um, Strider and the Hobbits defend themselves, but Frodo feels an overpowering desire to put on the ring. When he does so, a Black Rider stabs him in the left shoulder with a magical blade before Strider can drive the riders off. Frodo slips the ring off his finger before falling unconscious. And we've got that first big event um, in the Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, one of the first big events when Frodo is uh, wounded. Yeah, it's a really, it's a really huge deal because this yeah. wound will trouble Frodo for the rest of his life. <laughs> like, it's a, uh, it's a scar that he will not ever forget. And even when yeah. he, like, the reason why he ends up going across the sea to the west is because part, partially because of this, and of course, also just the emotional scarring of bearing mm. the ring. But those but, are um, like connected in a way. Yes, they are. Yeah. Uh, of course, that's the reason why the why the uh, the uh, Nazgul here want to, of course, pursue him, but also they want to make him one of them, so that he will willingly give up the ring uh, to Sauron. Yeah. <laughs> so. And earlier in the chapter, we actually have Frodo uh, making note that uh, he's losing weight uh, because of the. <laughs> Uh, of the fact that they are um, walking and um, and they are have finally having some exercise, uh, and he says, "Not I having have... seven meals a day." Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And he says, "I hope I don't. Uh, it doesn't keep going until I am a wraith." And uh, Strider doesn't find that really funny because this is clearly foreshadowing of what the Nazgul's do uh, and what they themselves are. Um, so it's kind of like when you know, you you pick up on that quite quickly, and it almost feels uh, like uh, uh, a reference that it's too easy to make, but it's actually right. It's it's quite well done, I think. Yeah, I feel like this is kind of the equivalent of joking about bombs inside an airport, like. Yeah, <laughs> the there's a pretty pretty small chance that Frodo's actually going to become a wraith because of his um, diet and exercise, but the the subject is is pretty touchy at the moment. Yeah, but he doesn't know it. Yeah, none of them do. 
Okay, I guess after that they they understand. Um, and it's actually um, like the wound itself uh, isn't much, um, and it's really the the poison from from the the nasgles that uh, is the danger for the. So in is it in this chapter? Yes. So we can follow them uh, as they uh, travel, and these these are actually in a sense um, quite slow because we can we we see how they travel every day, um, and we also get like the um, uh, campfire stories um, that are told. Um, so I always skip the songs because i just i just can't be bothered to read <laughs> three pages of song that doesn't say much uh, i try to hang on and to and to read them but uh i'm i'm uh, quickly bored usually you kind of get the point <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well it's not in this chapter but if you skip the songs in the next chapter you'll miss sam singing about boners yeah so. <laughs> Is that <laughs> which is a shame, admittedly. Yeah, real shame. Uh, <laughs> but is in this chapter we still get like the story of um Baron and Lucian that Aragon tells. Uh where we learn that uh he and Owen are actually uh <laughs> related, but we don't know. Um I mean it's very far away, <laughs> but still. Oh yeah, it's so great to get. I think this is like the perfect spot. I think to get that story. Like, I don't know. Of course, we're here. We're going to the um, to Weathertop, the Watchtower of Amansul, and there's just like a sense of history to the environment, um, that like is so well supported by this like epic narrative of this hugely significant um, both like historical moment, but also like a story that's told between people i don't know like just the combination of those make the world feel so much deeper to me yeah um yeah i agree and it also shows like again a different side of aragon um who apparently knows uh he can do everything <laughs> he can track he can guide them he can uh, <laughs> hunt for them and he can also tell stories uh, in a nice and compelling way. <laughs> We're certainly getting a sense there's a lot to this guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh <-huh. laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, clearly. Um, so about that lightning on Weathertop, I don't remember if it's confirmed uh, afterwards that it was indeed Gandalf. I cannot remember. Is that a Gandalf thing that I actually don't know at all? I don't know. I, I don't know if it's explained what it was and uh, who was there before them on Weathertop. Um, I don't remember. I, maybe it's even like kind of clarified in the chapter, but it's been a few weeks since I've read it. Um, yeah, I don't think I don't know yeah. if they come back to it later, but um, when they get to Weathertop, they find a marking with like the G rune that Gandalf uses. Yeah. So to me, it feels like. Um, Gandalf has been here at some point and tried to leave a message, but it's kind of mysterious. But what's the like? Uh, what's Gandalf timeline here? Because um, afterwards, in the next chapter, we learn from Glorfindel that nine days ago he hadn't been at Rivendell, uh, Gandalf yet, uh, which makes sense because nine days ago, I think he still probably wasn't uh, free from Isengard so he he goes from Isengard and he looks for them between Bree uh, and Rivendell I guess and he and he encounters the Black Riders himself but I, I would think that he would find a way to find them but uh, probably I mean obviously not <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, f I feel like Drop it was ball. just a near miss, and he was probably like um, attacked at some point by the Black Riders, and then had to had to leave Weathertop, and then um, Aragorn and the Hobbits came to Weathertop, and Gandalf was already gone. Yeah, 
and they get attacked by the black riders. I guess that's maybe where the other four are, because they are not attacking in their full strength here. There are only five, yeah. uh, and maybe the other ones are busy with Gandalf. Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should I move on to to the next chapter? All right. Um, let's go for it. Ah, chapter twelve. Uh, flight to the ford. Um, so Strider believes that the Black Riders were more easily chased away because there were only five of them, uh, not nine. He also thinks that the Riders believe Proto is fatally injured and that he will soon be in their power. Strider tends the wounds with a healing herb called Atlas, but he notes that they must make haste to Rivendell where Elrond can use his healing abilities to help Frodo. They so they walk on for several days. Um, the journey is uneventful but difficult and Frodo's wound uh, grows steadily more painful. Um, as they travel oh I'm gonna talk about the tro trolls before I talk about Glorfindel because so they travel through like a country that's not very welcoming uh, and uh, it's very tiring for them. They don't have a lot of food. Um, and then they arrive at... Um, uh, so actually, first they, tr they cross a bridge where they see a sign that maybe... Uh, that Argon um, understands as uh, the fact that it, it's, uh, it's safe to cross. Um, but they are quite surprised to find no black riders waiting for them uh, there. Um, after that first bridge across one uh, river, they travel to the next one, the ford, uh, which is the, um, like, after that, it's Rivendell, and they're fine. Um, and on their way, they find uh, a troll um, place, uh, they are all quite scary, scared, sorry, but um, Strider seems to think that it's all fine. Um, and uh, Mary and Pippin uh, walk ahead and then they come back all terrified because they saw the trolls. Um, and Argon is like, okay, let's go see them. Um, and they find out actually uh, that these are the three trolls that uh, Bilbo uh, encountered. I don't know how many years ago, um, in The Hobbit, which is a nice little moment where they all remember Bilbo telling the story again and again of how these trolls were uh, petrified by uh, the sun um, as they were uh, arguing how to cook the dwarves uh, and Bilbo. Um, and Strider kind of uh, mocks them for not only forgetting that, but also forgetting that uh, it's... Uh, it's daylight and the trolls aren't uh, able to, to be in the daylight. And one of them has um, a nest behind his ear, so they might have realized that uh, <laughs> they, were, they weren't alive. Um, so a nice little bit, and then they move on, um, and they find Glorfindel, uh, who is an elf. And he speaks very urgently to Strider. Glorfindel uh, has come from Elrond to help the hobbits uh, when they got word uh, that they were coming um, from Gildor, I guess. He places Frodo on his horse um, and explains to him that, yes, he wants to stay with his friends, but he is the reason why they are in danger and they won't be as soon as, uh, if he has to flee ahead, they won't be. Um, so they continue on toward Rivendell, um, and they uh, are caught up by the Black Riders um, are they, as they are, they are near the ford. Um, they pursue Frodo, who rides on through the ford and through the river, and he's finally on the other side. And as the riders try to cross, um, the river rises up and scatters the riders and their horses. Uh, Frodo falls uh, unconscious 
and that's uh, where we are at the end of book one. I feel like that part with the um, with the trolls for Hobbit fans is like that um, Leonardo DiCaprio meme of like pointing at the screen. It's like, oh, look, <laughs> I know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is nice to get a little reference back to the Hobbit here. Of course, I don't think there's like many people that were like Hobbit readers <laughs> who were like didn't like immediately read these, but maybe there are. But I think like even if you're not a Hobbit reader, um, the story has already been referenced in the in the Lord of the Rings. Um, I think uh, at some point maybe uh, in in the first few chapters, and um, and it's just it feels nice to see the Hobbits uh, like they feel lighter because because of that moment and even Frodo like the memory of Bilbo going through the same uh, uh, the same path and uh, getting to Rivendell with the dwarves uh, gives him hope and courage yes he's reminded that he's not the first hobbit to have to go on a perilous journey I think that is reassuring um, of course he's I think the things he's going to have to deal with are much scarier uh, to come, but yeah, it is nice to know that like this path has been traveled already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just in this new strange place. Um, that at every turn there's something weird happening. It's nice that it's at least at this point that it's been charted by someone that he knows. Yes, exactly. Um, it's I think cool it's to worth- meet Glorfindel. That's fun. Yes, One of a is. significant figure out of legend coming here to help out. Yeah, I, and like I understand why they changed him to Arwen in the movie, and I think it was probably like a good decision as far as to um, not have too many characters and actually give something to do to the one they have. <laughs> yeah, uh, give Arwen something to do. In <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one thing good. basically, uh, and and this is one of my favorite scenes uh when when she rides and she's pursued by the riders and that's that's awesome uh, and that's a real uh horse womanship <laughs> i'm gonna say um and uh and that's great but it's indeed not how it happens in the book um <laughs> uh, yeah as uh, indeed frodo is even like alone on the horse there's uh no one else with him yeah, yeah. Uh, which makes a difference because, like, he's much more active in his own uh, saving than than in the movie. Um, he actually confronts the Black Riders and he's like, "Go back to Mordor. I won't go with you. You won't have me, and you won't have the ring." And that that's quite powerful. Like when you see how much uh, um, influence they have on him, uh, and the fact that he almost didn't go because because they were uh, putting him back and he wants to put on the ring and stuff but he still have the uh he still has the will to to say that to them and to resist and i find i find it uh quite uh, quite exciting yeah i think in general i i think in the in the books you get more a sense of frodo's own courage like there are moments of it in the movies but it doesn't quite come through as clearly. Um, whereas here you do really like he is, he is really fighting against um, of course the wound that he has, but also the, the, uh, the Nazgul that are pursuing him here. And it's, it's cool, but I do like it. I like both, both interpretations a lot. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yes, we, we also have uh, Sam uh, singing a song. Apparently, from his own uh, invention. Uh, Brilliant work here. Brilliant lyricism. <laughs> yeah, with uh, like about trolls. Uh, Sam, the slayer of lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> it's good though. It actually is a good little song. Yeah, it's fun. Gives another dimension to Sam, as is noted um, by exactly the. Exactly what I was about to say. Yeah. yeah someone who it's easy to see as him being like this one dimensional person, but in fact, he is probably like one of the more, I don't know, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like the most Renaissance man of the Hobbits. Very well-rounded. Yeah. 
Well, he is an author and a poet for sure. Yes. And a scholar and a gardener yes. and a cook. He's got all kinds of skills that I wish I had. Or a wee man. Yes. Or a hobbit. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, this is quite a straightforward episode. I think I can, I'm, I'm quite excited to get to uh, <laughs> the next book to find Gandalf again and to be in Rivendell. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say, I'm excited to edit less than an hour of audio. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> I would be. <laughs> there basically, there's basically nothing to, to edit, you know, but it just, makes I, it a breeze. yeah, I just don't like to, uh, to publish an episode where I haven't listened to everything because you never know. Uh, yeah, I yeah. want to check everything, gotta, check everything. So gotta <laughs> cut out my gratuitous mentions of boners. <laughs> no, no, that stays in. <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. Like I always go through everything, you know, like I'll scan bits where I know it's like fine or whatever, but then like Bina, it's like, she's put it up like 20 minutes later. And I'm like, she was like, it was great. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> there are things I might've taken out. I don't know. But she has more confidence in us, I think. So yeah, yeah. Than we have in ourselves, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone needs a beaner to prop them up, give them courage. I'm like it was great. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Just like Sam. Yes. Just like Sam. All right. Uh, but uh, in all seriousness, uh, do you have anything more to say on these chapters or the that uh, whole uh, set of chapters that we did? Nope, nope. that's it for me. Looking forward I, to the rest. And I'm excited to get to the, the much-beloved Council of Elrond, which I think yeah. people will find is not as bad as they remember in terms of like the length of it. It is, it is the longest chapter in the book by far, but it is, it's actually, it's good. I think, I think it reads well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, any last thoughts, uh, everyone on the book on the next one? I guess we've said that already. Um, okay. So I'm it's exciting. We're already over, more than halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> my axe. yeah. And the axes are coming. All right. Uh, well, so this closes our second episode on The Lord of the Rings. Um, we will move along right to uh, the next bunch of chapters. I think we will probably be doing six of them or something like that. Um, and I will announce that quickly. Uh, if you want to join us on Discord, you're very welcome. Uh, we discuss. A little bit of everything, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, A Song of Ice and Fire, of course, uh, even if it's a bit slow at the moment. And uh, you can join in on the discussion. You can also, as ever, um, find us on Facebook, Twitter, um, Tumblr, YouTube, uh, basically all of the social media, <laughs> or a lot of them. Um, and, I think we uh, have a TikTok now. Oh yes, that, we have a yeah, TikTok. There's a TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> the Buck TikTok. Uh, thanks, uh, yeah, that Sarah uh, set up, um, uh, which is which is fun. Uh, so check that out. TikTok is the first social media for me where I feel like an old man, or I'm like, what is this? <laughs> like, I still don't I, really know, yeah, know what it is. <laughs> I already felt like that with Instagram. Like, I have an Instagram yeah. account for something else. Um, not a personal account, uh, yeah. and I never post on it. I'm like, how how does it work, really? Like, I know, but I just don't don't post anything. Yeah, TikTok is like 100 percent like when Vine was a thing, and people trying to do these quick <laughs> videos, and you had like Vine superstars because they do like 10 second videos, and I was just like, you can these like 12 year olds can get out of here, and that was like a whole <laughs> app for it. And they're like, no man, TikTok's great. I'm like, sure, whatever. I don't know. Papa John is on there. That's all I know. <laughs> Seems like it's a great platform. Papa John. I love how that's the one thing you know about it. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, my, my point is, is that it's not just like, you know, the kid's secret little app. It's like totally, you know, corporate and monetized. And, yeah. you know, someone yeah, who's been canceled is like oh, every, trying to get back is. through TikTok, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Sorry. this was... 
No, no problem. Tangent. Uh, you're oh right. We have a TikTok and we need to uh, advertise it. <laughs> um, oh yeah, promote. Yeah, maybe that can bring a new demographic to the UK. Who knows? <laughs> I'm scared. Someone that would be <laughs> even younger than Zach. <laughs> I don't like we it. We card. We card. If you I'm, I'm old at this. Younger point. than shellfish. I am not young. No, I know you're I, probably. I'm not, I'm not even sure that I'm older than Zach. No, might not be. I'm. I'm I'm definitely not, but you, I mean, I don't know, but I don't think we are, but um, you were young when you joined, so. That's how long I've been doing this shit. It's been a long <laughs> yeah. Time. yeah, I know. <laughs> All right. Um, so bye, everyone. This was, uh, this was nice to have you on. Uh, thank you for joining me and uh, on to the next uh, episode, I guess. Thanks, Marie. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for hosting. Yeah, thanks.